Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2023, we're running our annual Radiothon, where we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy the podcast. Annie McLaughlin here for Stick Together, a half hour of worker stories, union news and social justice issues. We come to you from 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation with respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. We are coming to you on your community radio station, on the Community Radio Network, with the financial support of the Community Radio Federation. Outside Victoria Trades Hall on Tuesday the 29th of May, a very large crowd of people gathered for the unveiling of the workers' hero, Zelda Deprano. The Rosa Parks of Women's Equality in Australia, the woman who refused to pay a full tram fare, offering only 75% because that's how much less women were paid in Australia's 60s and 70s. When Zelda and a core group of union women chained themselves to the Arbitration Commission demanding change. This statue of Zelda, a real woman, rather than an allegorical representation of one, is one of only 11 statues of real women in Melbourne, competing with 582 of the male variety. Some way to go in the harmonising of the historical record. Before our report on the event, some union news. <laughs> The Electrical Trades Union, the ETU, got a motion up at the Queensland State ALP conference against submarines in Queensland and nuclear power generally in civil and military sectors. In breaking news, Labor Against War reported that the Queensland State Conference of the ALP on June the 4th voted down the following motion. The conference congratulates the Albanese government on investing in the AUKUS agreement, an agreement that will create jobs for the country, establish and retain a new industry being nuclear science and secure our nation in the future. 144 and 229 against. Eden Gillespie reported that throughout the tense voting process, members of the left and right quarrelled, yelling shame at each other, while several state MPs left the room to avoid taking a stance. An earlier resolution to ban nuclear submarines built as part of the alliance, brought by the ETU, passed, despite members of the right and the Australian Workers' Union, the AWU, voting against it. The Fair Work Commission announced the national minimum wage decision last week with an 8.6% increase for those on the minimum wage and 5.57% for those on award wages. What does this mean on the ground? Business reporter Daniel Zipper broke it down this way. The national minimum wage will now be $882.80 per week or $23.23 per hour. But only a very small group of workers, 0.7% of the workforce, 
or less than 200,000 people on the lowest minimum wage of $21.38 an hour will see that 8.6% pay jump. These workers, mainly women, are doing it tough. Almost 20% of them have a long-term disability or impairment, more than half of them are casual and 80% are underemployed, wanting more hours. The bigger group, 20.5% of workers, or around 2.5 million people on awards, will see a 5.75% rise from their current pay rates. Awards are legal agreements that cover things like pay, overtime, rates and conditions for certain industries, like hospitality. But this week, new data showed prices rose 6.8% for the year to April. The Consumer Price Index, the CPI, measures a basket of goods. The biggest jumps were in housing, 8.9%, food and non-alcoholic beverages, 7.9%, and transport, 7.1%. The ACTU, which had called for a 7% increase for award workers, welcomed the outcome, saying with inflation running at 6.8%, this will mean $66.50 more per week in the pocket of an entry-level disability support worker and $51.08 per week in the pocket of an entry-level shop worker. However, Josh Cullinan from RAFU, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, said that the Fair Work Commission minimum wage decision is a real wage cut of more than 1% and is simply not sustainable for working people. The arrogant claims of ACTU and Labor that wage cuts are good for workers must be rejected, he said. They want us to pretend inflation isn't 6.8%, which on their argument that we need to look ahead blows away last year's 4.6% wage increase. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. In the last week of May, a bustle and excitement exuded from the walls of Victoria Trades Hall, that earliest of buildings representing the aspirations of the working people of the world. This was because way was being made for a statue of working-class hero Zelda Deprano to stand in front of the building, greeting passers-by for future generations to celebrate and continue her work. The unveiling of this bronze, 1.5 life-size figurative representation of a great woman, is only one of 11 such statues in Melbourne, set against 582 of figurative representations of men. So this unveiling had a lot of meaning. First, we hear Will Struck, Assistant Secretary at Victoria Trades Hall, outlines Zelda's place in the union movement and workers' struggle. Julia Gillard, former Prime Minister, patron of Monument of One's Own, was there and we will hear her speak. Dr Claire Wright talks about why a monument of one's own. And finally, we hear from Alma Geeky, one of Zelda's compatriots who chained herself to the Commonwealth Arbitration Commission building with her, who was alive and was able to be there for the unveiling with the partner of 
Thelma Solomon, also a Cheney, who, like Zelda, has passed away but was there in spirit. Will Strutt, Assistant Secretary, Victoria Trades Hall Council. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that we're on today, the Wurundjeri people of the mighty Kulin Nation, pay respects to elders past and present, and I extend that respect to any First Nations comrades who are with us here today. Today, we are here to talk about Zelda de Prano. This Zelda. Zelda who was forced to leave school at 14 because her family needed her to earn some money. Who, as soon as she started working, saw that inequality between men and women was rife. Who spoke up and got fired for it, time after time. Zelda who was an activist, who called out sexism wherever she saw it, including in our trade union movement. But today's not just about Zelda the individual, but also as part of a collective. Because Zelda was a feminist. She was a part of a movement driven by many women for the collective benefit of all women. A movement she joined, progressed, and then passed on to a new generation. And Zelda was a trade unionist. While she was one woman, she never acted alone. Even on the day that she chained herself to the Commonwealth Arbitration Building, there were other union, union women with her, supporting her. So, let's hear that story. In 1969, Zelda started working at the Meat Workers Union. Back then, there were three full-time women trade union officials in Victoria. And like her union sisters, she took a keen interest in the union equal pay test case. She would go down to the Arbitration Commission to watch as a full bench made up entirely of men listened to arguments made by men for and against equal pay for women. She described it like this. It was humiliating to have to sit there and not say anything about our own worth. I found the need to sit there silent, almost beyond my control, and was incensed with the entire setup. In the end, that first test case achieved equal pay for equal work, which sounds terrific, until you realise that Australia had, and still has, one of the most gender-segregated workforces in the world meaning that only 18% of working women benefited. The union women who had been following the case were pissed. And so they did what any self-respecting activists would do. They put that anger into action. On the 21st of October 1969, Zelda chained herself to the Commonwealth Building while her union sisters carried signs, paraded and chanted. And then Zelda and two AEU comrades, Alva Geeky, who's with us here today, and Thelma Solomon went on to chain themselves to other buildings. They got together with other women and formed the Women's Action Committee, specifically to protest. Things like refusing to pay full fare on public transport, because after all, if women only earned 75% of what men earned, they should only have to pay 75% of the fare. And they went on pub crawls as protests. Because back then, women weren't allowed in the front bar. They had to go to the ladies' lounge where the drinks were more expensive. Zelda and her sisters weren't having that. They pushed their way into the front bar. And so they broke down barriers for women, including barriers to equal pay. In 1972, the Arbitration Commission heard another case, and this time they decided that equal pay meant equal pay for equal work and work of equal value which meant all women workers could benefit. In 
a proper win, worth celebrating with a drink in the front bar of the nearest pub. Now, we can't pay tribute to Zelda, activist, feminist, trade unionist, fighter for working women, fighter for equal pay, and her union sisters, without talking about the struggle today. Because despite the efforts of generations of staunch union women, and despite the progress that we have made, working women today still aren't safe, respected, or equal. We aren't safe. Two thirds of us have experienced gender-based violence in the workplace. One in five of us has left the workplace because we don't feel safe. We aren't respected. Nearly half of us have experienced discrimination in the workplace. We are less likely to be promoted and more likely to be in casual, insecure and low-paid work. We still do the great bulk of unpaid, unvalued work of caring for households, families and communities. Our childcare is some of the most expensive in the developed world and yet our early childhood educators, mainly women, are some of our lowest paid workers. And we aren't equal. Despite winning equal pay in 1972, we still don't have equal pay and we retire with around half the superannuation of men. And across every one of those measures, things are worse for women from marginalised and excluded communities. So this statue is more than just a tribute to an individual or even to her collective. It reminds us of our history, that we are part of a chain of women who fought for better, but also of what still needs to be done. And that change is not achieved by appealing to power, but by building and exercising power in collective. As Zelda herself put it, individuals alone did not and will not make our history. And we must guard against the obliteration from history of the wonderful women all over Australia who had the courage to come out onto the streets and be counted. This statue is a good first step in ensuring that legacy is not just remembered, but celebrated. Thank you. Julia Gillard, former Prime Minister and patron of the Monument of One's Own. We need to be bold and loud about the achievements of Australian women in towns and cities across this great nation. Because women like Zelda have played such an important role in so many of the country's key moments. Women like Edith Cowan, the first woman elected to the Australian Parliament. Activist Evelyn Scott, who was so crucial to the 1967 constitutional referendum. Suffragettes like Catherine Helen Spence and Joan Kerner, the first woman to lead this great state. Yet too often these achievements have been unheralded or only recognised in small ways. Certainly not enough has been done to ensure we understand the contributions of these women. As Virginia Woolf said, for most of history, Anonymous was a woman, and that is not good enough. Our history-making and history-changing women should not be consigned to anonymous footnotes. They must be proudly and permanently celebrated. And that's what we are doing here today, immortalising the life and work of Zelda Deprano, a woman who dedicated her life to fighting for gender equality. 
As we've heard, Zelda was a trailblazer in the fight for equal pay, chaining herself to buildings, and we can see the chain, inspiring other women to join the cause, only paying 75% of tram fares to reflect the pay gap. But this fight that Zelda dedicated herself to 50 years ago is not over either, far from it. In 2023, the gender pay gap in Australia sits at 13.3%. We know that persistent inequality has important consequences. So if you're gonna catch the tram, train or bus home today, I'm not going to uh, urge you to walk entirely in Zelda's footsteps and refuse to pay the fare, but I do urge you to talk to the people around you on that public transport about why you should really only be paying 87%. And what better way to inspire our young people, the next generation, to continue the fight than to have this grand monument to stand in front of? to pass on their way to school, to work, or to university, given the precinct we're in. Because if you can't see it, you can't be it. Young women need role models that they can identify with and are motivated by. Whether it's on the streets of Melbourne or Sydney, Adelaide, Hobart, Ballarat, wherever in this country, they need that visual reminder that they too can achieve great things. This statue could be just the encouragement someone needs to know that the door to leadership, to activism, to enacting positive change is open and they should step right through it. I truly hope that this is the first of many statues of women to be erected around the nation. Zelda herself said it best in 2006, less than two years before her passing when she uttered these words, women's work is absolutely essential to society. Can you imagine Australia if all the women went on strike? If that was the case, the country would close down. She was surely right about that. Whether it's paid or unpaid work, the women of Australia should be celebrated and in a monumental way. Thank you very much. Dr. Pear Wright, co-convener of a monument of one's own. The creation of this statue of Zelda de Prana is a critical act of commemorative justice in Australia, where less than 4% of statues depict women. In Melbourne, only 11 statues out of 582 statues are full-bodied named and not allegorical women. Others today have spoken about why Zelda and her actions matter. And I want to say something about why a statue, that stolid remnant of patriarchal colonial white supremacy, why statues also matter. And in particular, why this statue matters. I first met Zelda in 2017. On this occasion, I was delving into the now iconic photograph of Zelda chained to the front of the Commonwealth buildings in Melbourne in October 1969, I learned how the idea for her chain-up, as she called it, came into being. How she did it on her lunch break. How her mates in the maritime union bought the heavy chain that she had wrapped around her waist. How she was modelling her action after the Australian suffragist Muriel Matters, who had chained herself to the grill of the ladies' gallery at the British House of Commons in 1908, 
proclaiming votes for women. I learned how Zelda made the clothes she was wearing that day, how she didn't have anything to drink for hours before the protest for fear she'd have to go to the loo while affixed to the front of a building. Importantly, I learned how Zelda herself tipped off the press and made sure a photographer would be present to witness and capture her maverick action. It's one of the reasons that we were so keen to transform that photograph into bronze, a literal reading of the photograph, because that is how Zelda herself wanted to be remembered. For a woman to craft and stage manage her own media image is a rare act of sovereignty indeed. Zelda's famous action in 1969 saw her occupying public space in a way that was counter to the prevailing norm of women as silent, demure, and inconspicuous. It is fitting that she will now occupy a permanent space in our civic landscape, a concrete, or at least bronze, reminder that women have always had to fight for the rights and freedoms we enjoy today. We hope the statue will motivate people to go back to the barricades to achieve wage justice for women. Women's economic security, and therefore their power, their freedom, depends on it. At a monument of one's own, we believe that who we remember and how we remember them matters. Who we put on a pedestal matters, because for all their flawed legacy as tools of patriarchal, colonial, white supremacy, we know how to read figurative statuary like this. We know statues symbolize power. That's why we deface them. That's why we pull them down. Don't you dare deface this. The power to take up space. The power to leave a permanent record of achievement and enterprise. Monumental change in the visibility, credibility, and civic recognition of women is happening one statue at a time. Closing the commemorative gap will help us close the respect gap that we know leads to other forms of violence and discrimination against women. But you'll also see that Zelda doesn't tower above us, proclaiming and commanding space. Her pedestal is culturally symbolic, but not physically lofty. She's down here with us, arms outstretched, unfurling those chains, welcoming all comers, welcoming the fight. The inscription down the bottom at Zelda's feet says, it's what she said to a passerby, a gentleman who said to her on that day in October 1969, what do you think one woman is going to achieve? And this is what she told him. Today it was me. Tomorrow there will be two of us. The next day there will be three, and it will go on and on, and there won't be any stopping it. So here's an idea. Let's join her in the fight, eh? Because together it will go on and on, and there won't be any stopping it. Thank you. Alma Geeky, a compatriot of Zelda Deprano. Can you tell me about how you're feeling today? Oh, I'm feeling wonderful. Absolutely fantastic. If Zelda was here, she would say, I'm, I'm amazed. 
and then she would laugh, a very hearty laugh. She had a great sense of humour. She would just be completely bowled over by all of this and I just think it's fantastic and she deserves it. You know, the work that she did for her whole life really was amazing. Well, you know, uh, the whole idea of going off to work at 14, you know, what a challenge. I know. She said to me, um, in those days, like they wanted her to stay at school. She went to Brunswick Girls. Uh, she was smart. She was smart. And the teachers wanted her to stay. But she said to be a teacher or a nurse from her background was like shooting for the moon. It was just not thought of. Just so dear. And also, there wasn't any money in the family. And she... She felt that and she wanted to earn money for herself and the family. Yeah. You know, being so smart was uh, the gift to the working class. Oh, absolutely. She, 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 she had a broad education. She was in the Communist Party and at that stage, when she was 20 she joined, and at that stage they had a great education program. And so she started reading all the leftist stuff and then she started reading other ordinary, you know, what everybody else was reading. So she had that amazing education. She had great life experience as well. And she, she, had, the, she had the pride to go out and try and do something. What was it like to be so brave? I mean, because it is brave to do stuff. You, and you were part of that. I was, I was in the second chaining with Zelda and Thelma Solomon. And we didn't feel all that brave, really. I mean, we just hoped for the best and the the police just came and cut the chains and said, don't do it again, you naughty girls. <laughs> and uh, so it worked out quite fine. I mean, it was a little bit, I suppose, dicky, but, you know. Did you, uh, in yourself, yeah. feel um, strange to step over the line, you know, make yourself uh, obvious? Yes, because I'm not really an upfront person. So, yeah, but I see Zelda was very good on speeches and things and so we she and, and Von Hull who also needs to be recognised because she joined us at the first meeting in March 1970 and so the four of us went to every meeting from then on you know and um, and we're really we, we average about 10 at our meetings and but, but we four were at every meeting and, and tried to you know and really kept it going until then other groups joined in the women's liberation movement and then we disbanded after a couple of years, the Women's Action Committee, because we could see with ten people we couldn't do everything and the women's liberation was growing and growing and growing so we disbanded and joined them. Zelda was obviously a, a really good organiser yeah. because she was able to get other people to help her. That's right, yes. Oh, well see, she knew a lot of union people and, um, and so on the quiet, the, the EMUA man loaned her the channel, gave her the chain but he said, you're not to mention me and so she didn't. She didn't mention where it came from until much, much later. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks for talking to me. You're welcome. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, <laughs> stick together. One, two, three, four. Don't be too polite, girls, don't be too polite. 
Enjoy listening to that podcast? 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are a part of that community. Right now, it's our radiothon. We need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your donations really matter.